Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Let's recap here so far. We've been talking about countercultural. Becca did a phenomenal job a couple weeks ago, didn't she, giving that message? Come on, can we give her a hand again? Um... She's so articulate and awesome. I just, man, even she was doing announcements this morning. I'm like, I, she's going to be pining for my job soon. Like, seriously, this is good. And uh, just so clear and very, you're an awesome communicator. So thank you. And uh, uh, last week we looked at being set apart. And we looked at Daniel and his friends who were there. Uh, you know, here's what happened just to get you caught up to speed. They're under King Nebuchadnezzar who attacked the Israelites and basically took the whole clan of Judah, took them into exile or slavery, if you will, and said, you're all mine. And he looked for people to work alongside of him. Uh, and he said, I'm looking for people that are of royal blood or handsome or are great and quality and all of this. And you can listen back to the message to get all that context. But he found Daniel and his friends and he took them with him to work alongside him. And Daniel, did, he didn't like give in to the culture. He stood and he set himself apart. And so last week we talked about setting ourselves apart. This week what I want to talk about today is when we set ourselves apart, we position ourselves to have unbelievable influence for God. And when we do that, I believe God shows up and he shows off and he utilizes us in a way that maybe we weren't even expecting or seeing. I can tell you that because I grew up a theater nerd, never thought in a million years I would be sharing a message from the Bible 20 years later, okay? If you say yes to God and you surrender to him, God is going to mess with you, okay? Anybody want to be messed with by God? (laughs) My wife's shaking her head, no, you know, (laughs) He wants to mess with you, though, in a good way. And so just allow him to do that this morning. And so Daniel and his friends, they had this influence. They were right there with the king. They had this impact, you know, and they didn't isolate themselves. And I think what happens in our culture today, and so I'm going to talk biblical culture and then culture today in our modern context. And I want you to see how incredibly similar these are, even though we're thousands and thousands of years apart from when this took place. And so I think in our culture today, we either believe like either I stand for God and everybody in the world hates me, or we go, man, to have impact, I got to kind of change a few of God's words and, and kind of twist it so that people aren't offended by, by the word of God and, and all of this. And, and I, I want to present an opinion this morning that I believe that we can stand firm in love and our convictions at the same time. I believe we can do that. And so I, I hope you do too. There's a phenomenal book on this. And uh, it's called The Daniel Dilemma. In fact, it goes through the entire book of Daniel, and it talks about Daniel being set apart. Um, I've read parts of it. It's a phenomenal book. And, and uh, for, for this message, I've used some of this. And, and it's just an incredible uh, way where you see Daniel really working into his calling. You know, he wasn't sure what was going to happen in his life. He thought maybe he was going to be a slave. And then with him just setting himself apart, we see the dilemma that he's faced with. You know, does he want to have impact and live for God and potentially die? Or does he give in when he gets the chance? And so uh, it's a phenomenal book. It's a quick read. It's a great read. It's a little bit more in depth theologically. Um, But I do have one extra one. Is there anyone here that would like this one? Tim, your hand was up first. Come on up here, man. Just, Just here. Ready? I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it by checking it. There you go. Have fun. So Tim Keating this fall will be teaching the book of Daniel. Um, all right. 
So last week, we, we ended, I'm kidding, last week, maybe that was prophetic, I don't know, um, we, we ended service by saying that we, as Christians, set apart, we either set the culture or we reflect it. And so I want to show us basically how we're called to set that tone. We're called to be the influencers. We're not called to be influenced. We're called to influence. So we can either be the thermometer or the thermostat. And I believe we're called to be the thermostat. We're called to turn up, you know, the pressure cooker on this world in this context by living out our life for Christ that he's given us. And so if you have a Bible, I have a lot of scripture I'm going to give to you today. We're going to eventually end up in Daniel chapter four. So if you want to get a head start, head there right now. Otherwise, I have a few other scriptures I want to share with you. Uh, The first is this. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, Jesus' words, it says, let your light do what? Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This little light up, I'm gonna let. You remember that one? Okay, so we're here. I know that's a kid's song, but it's so true. We're called to have impact in our culture today. You are called, well, I'm not a pastor. Good. I can't have a certain impact that you can have. We all have impact in our circle of influence and whom God has given us by his grace. We didn't earn it. Some of you work with people you don't even like. But God loves them and he has you there for a reason. We're not to retreat out of our culture, but to have an impact. Let me show you this. John 17, 15. It says, my prayer is that you take them, not that you take them out of the world, Jesus' words, not that you take them out, okay, but that you would protect them from the evil one. We're called to be in the world, just not of it. God wants you here, but he wants to protect you. We're not of this world, but you're stuck in it right now. So if your prayer is like, Lord, I just can't wait to go home, it's the wrong prayer. Stop praying that because you still have impact that God has on your life if you are still sucking wind and everybody in here still is. So far, it's not 1130 yet. So how do we live in it? How do we live in this culture and not become a part of it and still have that influence? I know, we hide, right? That's why we have these four walls to keep us all inside, right? No, no, we're called to be the church, not just do church. We know that, we're called to go, we're called to continue that. And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna, I kinda wanna present something and, and I'm asking your permission And whether you give it to me or not, I'm going to do it anyway. But I'm asking your permission to take you on a little bit of a deeper journey than we normally do Sunday mornings. Can I do that? You guys okay with that? Okay, so I'm going to need you to kind of like buckle up and hold on because I'm going to be coming at you fast and furious here this morning, okay? Like fast and furious number nine is on the way right now. Here we go. So we talked last week about Babylon. All right, everybody say Babylon. Babylon. Okay, if you were to go to Babylon today, do you know where you would go? Iraq, okay, that's modern day Babylon is Iraq. And so, you know, Baghdad's obviously the epicenter there. You would go to Iraq. So just picture that in your mind and maybe you're picturing kind of desert-like and and what it is. But I want you to get a new picture. I want to offer you that Babylon, though it's modern day Iraq, is not just a locality, but a mentality. That it's not just a place, but it's an actual mindset. And I want to prove this to you biblically this morning. And so it's a mentality that I believe as a pastor, as I've prayed about this message today, that needs to be exposed. And I believe that it's my job as a pastor to expose what Babylon really is as a mentality, what it means. And so we're going to go back here and kind of work our way through. So 
book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, you have the creation story. You have Adam and Eve and they're in perfect unison with God. They're walking with the, you know, with him. We have no idea how long they have this awesome relationship with him. And then in comes this slithering serpent, snake, whatever you will. And they, and he starts telling lies to Adam and Eve. Well, if you just eat of that, your eyes are going to be open. Oh God, he he doesn't, no, no, no. It's not about God. It's about you. And they buy into this selfish thought that, man, if we just eat this, our, our eyes are going to be open. And we know that's not true. If, if you're familiar with the story, you can, if you're not, you can read about it. Genesis 1 through 3. But then you go a few chapters later in Genesis and we read the story of Babel. Okay? Everybody say Babel. Babel, 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 Babel. Okay? If you're not familiar with the story of Babel, it's an incredible story of what these people did. They, they did an incredible thing. And today we might not think anything of it because we have these huge skyscrapers and every architect is trying to build bigger, better, best. But in this day, they wanted to build a tower. And you might be like, well, what's wrong with that? They weren't building this tower as a display to God. They were building this tower as a display to themselves. They built this tower. They all came together in unity. And all the peoples of the earth were in unity at this time. And so they started building this tower with these bricks. They were baked out of clay. And they kind of had stairs going all the way around it. And their goal was to get up to heaven. Not to meet God, though. Their goal was to, look, we can actually get to heaven all on our own. We don't need God. We can do this. And so they start building this tower and they actually get it all the way up and they're getting, you know, and then all of a sudden God confuses their language and scatters them. And this is where we get the word Babel from. Babel literally means confusion. In fact, we get the word Babylon from Babel. It's the same word, meaning confusion. And so what happened is they were following a way that was outside of God's will. God saw it and cared enough about them to say, whoa, time out. Let's, let's put some, uh, some guidelines here, you know, some, some delimiters, if you will, so that we stay within these guidelines. And so God shows up, confuses their language, but this is where we get this word. And so there's like mass chaos happened at the Tower of Babel. None of them could understand each other's language, all of this. And let me just post to you this, this day this thought. When we follow a way other than God's way, we will live in chaos. You can test it. <laughs> Feel free. I've, I've tried it. It's awful and doesn't work very well. But can I just say this? And, and uh, I believe we're living in chaos today. I believe our, our nation is in chaos today. You know, I turned on the news for five minutes and I'm not a news guy. And, uh, you know, another, another shooting took place. You know, all, all these things I look at, it breaks my heart. And, and I think it's this deranged confusion or deranged thinking that creates these unbelievable confused thoughts in our people today. But this is a symptom, okay, of what's taking place in the hearts of men and women today. Uh, and, and I would ask this, why, why do we need God? And it's this right here. Why do, why do we need him? In fact, when we look at the, the evil things in the world, one of the questions I get all the time is, well, where is God? Or why does God allow that to happen? But when somebody says, where is God? I, I would say, well, he's right where we left him. <laughs> you know, you ever heard somebody and they lose their keys and they say, you know, somebody tells them, you know, go to the last place you looked. Well, duh, you know, like you'll get there. We're called, though, to seek God's face. We're called to turn from our wicked ways. Well, wait a second, isn't that a prophecy in the Old Testament? Yeah, it's a prophecy about us, not the world. 
And this deranged thinking, it ends up creating confusion. Let me, and that's the, that's the Babylon mentality, not the Babylon location. Let me show it to you here scripturally a little bit more besides just Babylon, besides the Tower of Babel. Book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 5. It says this, and this is a prophetic book. It's the last book in your Bible. It says this, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, talking about Babylon, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. What in the world does that mean? I'm glad you asked. What it means is every ungodly thought had its root in the Babylon mentality. Okay? All of it. It was an abomination to the earth. When we buy into this Babylon mentality where it's all about me, we end up making it all about us and we take God out of the equation and we live in chaos and confusion. When you take God out of the equation, it doesn't work because he was never meant to be taken out. The simple way to say what it's saying here in Revelation chapter 17 is it's all about me. It's all about me, Chris. And all, you know, like that's, we, we get that, you know? And the spirit, I believe, is even within the church today. I, I believe us as pastors, we've done a horrific job of creating a consumer mindset of church where we come and we're like, all right, what do I get received today when you're as big a part of the church as I am? We're all in this together. We're all a part. We play a role together. We're called to be the church. You have a role. You have a purpose, okay? And, and we're all in that together. And I think what happens is, well, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get fed today or it wasn't quite deep enough or it was too deep. And, and I understand that those things can take place, but you have a bigger part to play than just that. Let me show you here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 47, verses 8 through 10. It says this, and this again is a prophecy in regards to Babylon. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. Both of these will overtake you in a moment on a single day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. Okay, if you know God's name in the Old Testament, this scripture just should just make you cringe. It should make every hair on your body stand up because we know that God's name in the Old Testament is what? I am. I am who I am. He talks about that in Exodus. So what he's saying is, Babylon say, we're so good. We are God now. Look at us. Come and do everything that we're doing. We're so good. We, we're awesome in everything. And we, we have our own security, which is what? No security at all, is it? Okay, well, I'm, I'm secure. I have self-confidence. <laughs> no, I want God-confidence. You know, I don't want confidence. I want Godfidence, all right? I should make that a new word in Webster's Dictionary. How often, though, do we say, I am? Do we do what Babylon is you know, prophesied to do here, where they're saying it's all about us? We don't need God. We can do it. Do, do we do that? I know there's times I do. And God, forgive me. I know there's times that I do that. You know, where we say there's, there's nothing besides me, we live, come on, we live in the selfie generation, don't we? I mean, come on, I, a selfie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself look good, you know? I'm going to post it on Facebook. You know, if I gain 10 pounds, I don't write that on my Instagram feed. I write when I lose 10 pounds, you know? Because I want to look good, you know? None of us want to look bad. But we become so self-focused that I don't even think we realize it sometimes. And I'm talking to myself right now as well. 
Babylon says, I am better. Babylon says, I am better love than God. Babylon says, I know better than God. Babylon mentality says, I could judge better than God. Babylon mentality says, I can't believe God allows and fill in the circle. And so what the Babylon mentality does is it actually, it's this selfish, confusing mentality that elevates self. It does three different things. If you're with me, say yeah. All right, nice job. Way to go. Stay with me. Here, you're doing awesome. It's self-adoring. It's self-adoring. You know, no loving God would ever tell me, fill in the blank. How dare he tell me that blank is a sin? Because what happens is we adore ourselves. Well, God wouldn't tell me that because I'm, I'm, I'm all good in a bag of Fritos. I'm good. You know, I don't have any problems. I'm, I got to figure it out. You know, I, I, in fact, I don't even like what the Bible says about that. Let's just rip that page out. Let's not even look at that. You know, the other ones are good, but I don't, I don't need that one. I'm good. I, we, we're self-adoring. And what that does is it actually lowers God at the same time when we adore ourselves. The second thing it does is it's self-building. Tower of Babel, they were building themselves up. You know, and, and I think what happens when we build ourselves up, we kind of tell God this. We say, I'll let you know when I need you, God. I'll let you know. You know, I'll let you know when things get bad. You know, when I don't need you, though, I'm going to live the way I want to. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And, and here's the third one is self-indulging. Okay? It, it self-indulges when, when it's all focused on our own self. It becomes indulgent. We have no one else to look at. It's just, it's all about me. It becomes that mentality, that Babylon mentality. In fact, we, we see this throughout history over and over again. If you ever read the revivals or you see, usually a revival takes place when something bad in the world takes place. And so when you see prosperity in the country or in the world, the church is empty. When you see tribulation in the world, historically, the church is full. If you go back to September 11th, okay, 2001, Church was more full than it ever had been in pre, like five generations before that because people had this need for God. What if we always had that? What if we always had that? So let me ask you this. We aren't the I am, but in sometimes that mentality, we put ourselves in that place. We don't even try. We just end up doing it. And I do it myself sometimes. I have to realize, no, it's not about me. It's about God. It's not about the bridge church. It's God's church. It's not Chris's church he started. It's God's church that will prevail, okay? He built it. It's his, okay? It's all about him. And so I think the question we have to ask is, will the real I am stand up? Will the real I am stand up? The truth is, here's the truth, okay? So just recap really quick. The Babylon, Babylon mentality is a mentality of confusion and selfishness. Okay? That we get that from. And it stems from the father of lies, the pits of hell, from the enemy himself. The truth is that God lavishes forgiveness. Lavishes. He pours it out. He gives it freely. He doesn't ask for us to pay him back anything. He lavishes it upon us. But he doesn't leave us there because then what he does after he lavishes forgiveness all on us, what does he do? He calls us to repentance. He says, I'm going to meet you right where you're at. I'm going to forgive you, but then I'm going to call you to a better place. Come on, Snow, are you with me this morning? That's what he does in my life. I don't know about you. But culture says this. He says, culture says, well, God doesn't love me. God isn't for me. In fact, God wants too much from me. I can't do it. But the truth is that everything in the word of God, he put in there for your benefit, not for his. Amen. I ask God to look at my life. God, where am I at? 
God, reveal to me my heart. And I pray that's your prayer this morning. Where am I at? Am I selfish or am I giving it all for God? Well, let's look at Daniel here. We've been talking about Daniel. If you're in chapter 4, we're going to camp out here for a few minutes. Daniel chapter 4. We find out that the king in whom Daniel had been serving, remember he's a higher up now, working with the king, with his buddies, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's an ungodly king. Okay? Here he is at home in his palace. He's content without God. He is looking all around at every, his kingdom and he's going, look what I did. Look at how awesome I am. And then the king has a, another dream. He had a dream in chapter 2, but in chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And in this dream, he ends up seeing this tree in a field. Just to recap, you can read it uh, sometime to get more details if you'd like, but just for time's sake, he sees a tree out in a field, and the tree is just flourishing. It's full of fruit, and people are getting shade underneath it. It's, just, it's a gorgeous tree. It's awesome. And, and then all of a sudden, towards the end of the dream, the tree is cut down, and it withers, and it dies. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar is going, what does this mean? And so he goes from all these other people to magicians to you know, sorcerers to diviners trying to go, hey, can you help interpret this dream? What does it mean? He knows it means something. And so finally, Daniel tells him what it means. He's so excited to have Daniel. And I have to tell you this, this is the part that, that just blows my mind. And, and I just, I want to be like Daniel. Daniel realizes in the dream that the tree represents King Nebuchadnezzar and the fact that he's going, look at all this that I've built and I've done and look at my kingdom. And then when the tree dies, the tree in the dream, it's actually cut to the stump, not to the roots on purpose. And in the dream, Daniel tells him and says, that's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You're saying it's all about you. God's going to cut you down to nothing other than a little stump that's sticking out of the ground all by itself. That's going to be you. That's it. And Daniel said, it's only when you repent and you acknowledge that he is God that he'll regrow that tree again. And you can read chapter 4 for more details on that. But I don't know about you. Here you are working with the king that doesn't worship the God you worship. And you have a choice to make. You have a dilemma, according to the book. You have a dilemma. What do you do? Do you tell the king the truth and know you could possibly die for it? Or do you wean and you become part of the culture, not countercultural? And I pray that I would do the right thing. I don't, I don't know all of you. I don't know what you would do, but I would want to do what Daniel did. Can I just say that his courage encourages me? Daniel's courage encourages me. Let it encourage you this morning. You know, he tells King Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be driven away. In fact, he says, you're actually going to go insane. The word insane is the same word that we get Babylon from. Confusion, insanity, chaos. That's where it stems from. It's a mentality. You're going to go Babylon, buddy. It's going to happen. And seven years are going to pass by until you acknowledge the true God. Thank you, God. He didn't tell me that. And so Daniel 4, let's pick this up, 26. It says this. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. I love that. I love that. Tell you do, tell you realize heaven rules, it ain't gonna happen. But here's what I want you to see for every single one of you this morning. I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you become a believer in Christ yet. If you haven't, I don't, I don't, maybe, maybe you know you're in some kind of sin situation. I don't know. I don't know your story. But I want you to show the loving God in whom we serve, the God full of mercy, full of grace. And don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise because that's the God in whom we serve. 
This is the king that drove people away from God. And what does the God of all gods do? The king of kings, he's gracious and he's merciful to him. He says, I will restore it to you if you acknowledge me. Do you realize how awesome that is? The king and you and myself, none of us are beyond restoration. None of us. None of us. You can always be restored. There's always hope. Well, I, I wish I could say, he did. He, he acknowledged God right away and the kingdom was, he didn't do this. He was a little bit stubborn, unlike many of us. Hashtag sarcasm. Instead, he looked, I'm not stubborn at all. You can ask my wife. <clears throat> Instead, he looked at his hanging gardens that he created in Babylon. If you're not familiar with the hanging gardens of Babylon, it's one of the seven wonders of the world. If you're a skeptic about the Bible, you got history right here happening right in front of your face. Google it sometime. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. He, King Nebuchadnezzar is the one who created it. It's still there today. People go to it. They flock to it. They look at this garden in Babylon or Iraq now, and they look at it and they're like, wow, this is incredible. They look at this, how beautiful it is. It's one of, this, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world that people looked at for years. But he looked at it, and he said, I am the one who did this. I am the one who made this grow. I am the one who's in control of this. I am the one who's secured myself, not God. Well, what happened? He went out for seven years. Seven years. Cut down, he went insane for like seven years. Crazy. At the end of the seven years, the dream came true where God restored him. And pick up in verse 34, it says this. At the end of that time, seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. In other words, my Babylon mentality was replaced with kingdom-mindedness. If you're with me, say yeah. Awesome. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. After seven years, He became a believer. Let me just pause for a second and sidetrack. Some of you here this morning, you have been praying for a child. You have been praying for a spouse. You have been praying for a parent. You have been praying for a long-lost relative. You have been praying for somebody and you're going, God, are they ever gonna give their life to you? There's always hope. Don't give up. Don't give up. It took Nebuchadnezzar, the stubborn man, seven years. He was worshiping other gods and leading people into worshiping with him. He got saved. So can the people you're praying for. So don't give up. Get people around you. Pray harder. Pray continuously. Verse 36 and 37. At the same time, that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. I know Becca's coming up. Stay with me. Did you hear that? They were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. I want you to see this. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was what? Restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Man, make that your prayer. Come on. Confusion's gone. The Babylon mentality is gone. God humbled him. And when God humbles you, it sometimes is not fun. But then God doesn't leave you down. God brought him, esteemed him to a higher place than he could have ever got to on his own. Did you see that? That's what took place. Because he gave God the glory. It wasn't him. He wasn't self-reflecting. Dear God, may it never be about us or the bridge. May it be about what you want to do in and through us always. May we always reflect 
your glory. See, in an ungodly culture, there's a couple things, action steps you need to take. So if you're going, that's great, Chris. What do I do about this? Where's where's the action step? What, What do I do? What's next? Here it is. Okay, here it is. Three things, real simple, real simple. And I'm gonna encourage you to do these these week. First of all, you're gonna survive a culture, an ungodly culture, if you do these three things. First, I will exalt God. I will exalt God. Exalt just means magnify him. It means we make him big. He already is big. But we make him big in our life. He is the center. Not just Sunday for an hour at the bridge. This is like throughout your life, everything you do, you exalt him. You give him the praise that he deserves. You lift him up. He is the solution to the biggest problem you can possibly have. And you look to him. And you live a life of praise for him. Not just in my heart, this whole Jesus in my heart crap. Kick the living daylights out of that. It's not in the Bible. It's meant to be lived out loud, not in here. Oh, it's my faith. I've got to be quiet about it. Be quiet about your faith. You don't have the faith. Because you need to live it out loud. You need to exalt him. You've been to a Vikings game before? It's loud. There you're called a fan. At church you're called a fanatic if you're that loud. But what if we took that energy that we use and we're praising a team made of purple jerseys that we all can't wait for, you know? We praise them louder than we do God. And guess what? None of the people on that team even know your name. He does. He's chosen you. He's in love with you. He's given everything to have you. Are you awake? Come on. I am. If you exalt God... You can't exalt yourself and you will survive culture. Number two, I will acknowledge God. I will give God everything that he asks for. I will acknowledge him in everything that I do, everything that I say, every failure that I do. I will still acknowledge him. Every success I have, I will acknowledge him. King Nebuchadnezzar did this and God took him to a new place. First Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. Paul writes this. What are you so puffed up about? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have, if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great? And as though you have accomplished something on your own. He did it all for you and me. He did it on the work of the cross. Acknowledge him. I acknowledge you. Today could be that day where maybe you haven't acknowledged him. I'm going to challenge you. There's a number on the program. Text yes to that number. If you say today, I want to acknowledge him as my savior and my Lord. Last one is this, I will humble myself. I will humble myself. Now, quick side note before I say this. Some of us live in this so, we're already so low and, and down and distraught and, and, and I want you to hear what I'm talking about, humility. Because sometimes that's like reverse pride. And, and you need to be who God's called you to be. Not anything less, not anything more. But I think sometimes you need to walk confidently And raise your head high in the God that has chosen you, that has given his life for you, and would give his life again if it was just you. I will humble myself. And let me say this. Humility's coming whether you want it to or not. Okay? You can initiate it, or culture will. You can initiate humility, or God will. You can initiate humility, or the enemy will. I'd rather do it. Because you have a choice between humility and humiliation. You get to pick. 
And humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's all it is. You know, I had, uh, I want to close with this thought. And I want you to have this mentality that's a kingdom-minded mentality. I want to sum it up in, in just a real quick thing that my coach, my church planning coach shared with me and I thought it was so good. And, uh, and then I'll pray for you and we'll dismiss. But he said this, he said, uh, he said, here's the three things he lives by. He says, love God, love people, and don't do anything stupid. It's that simple. Love God, love people, don't do anything stupid. Okay? Well, there's going to be times where you have trouble loving God. There's going to be times where you have trouble loving people. Third one we don't have to worry about. I mean, we don't ever do anything stupid, but God has come so that we can have that peace and we can have that mentality that's a kingdom mentality knowing who we're called to be. Look at King Nebuchadnezzar's story. Read it in full sometime in chapter four. It's a longer chapter, but look at it, Daniel chapter four and read through King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony and realize that's all of us in a way, shape or form. And God wants to bring you to a place maybe in your faith journey that you've never been to you before. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every person here. Would you bless them? I pray for everybody here this morning that's going to the gifts class today that you would reveal the gifts that you have in them. For those that aren't, Lord, I know they're gifted as well. And God, you have given them, Lord, your kingdom mindset. Today, we put you on the throne. We say, Jesus, you are real. We worship you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you don't leave us where, right where we're at. You bring us to that next part of our journey and you love us along the way. God, we stand here as forgiven, imperfect beings asking for your leadership in our lives. And I pray that you would give it to us in this week. God, would we do at least one of those following in this week? Would we exalt you? Would we talk about our faith with somebody this week, Lord? Would we do that? Would we acknowledge you if we never have before? Would we say yes to a journey with you? Would we consistently acknowledge that you are king, you are Lord of our lives? And then third, would we lay our lives down for you? Would we humble ourselves? God, allow us to live that out this week to come. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.